In this week's episode, we will be talking about Amazon and how they have reshaped both shopping and shoppers, uh, what would you call it, behavior. (laughs) Uh, We'll take a look at the impending demise of one of the reselling platforms, and we will have a book lover's paradise, what sold recap. What is up, Galaxians? Welcome to another episode of the Galaxy CD's Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk podcast. Uh, If you are joining me live, thank you for uh, stopping by the YouTube live this morning. Feel free to uh, please comment and uh, chime right in on the topics that we discussed today. If you are new to the channel, my name is Ryan, and I am a full-time reseller, part-time YouTuber, and podcaster working out of my home here in the greater Cincinnati area, which... Uh, side note is something I made an effort actually to change late last week. I actually looked at a property, uh, an abandoned church, which is kind of fitting considering all the religious books and Bibles that I sell out of my eBay store. Um, was a really cool space, had a nice two bedroom apartment upstairs, about 60, no, it's about 8,800 square feet, enormous space, probably actually way more space than I needed to be honest, but was a fantastic uh, opportunity, fairly well-priced, but unfortunately, uh, no, absolutely no off-street parking on this location. Uh, everything was on street, and to make matters worse, the two entrances to the building that would be best suited to load and unload uh, truckloads of merchandise are both in no parking zones. <laughs> uh, so unfortunately, I passed on that building. I told my realtor it was the right space in the wrong place. So I will continue to look, but that is a project that has been ongoing here for some time. I'd, uh, I'd really like to get all this stuff out of my house at this point if I could, but it's got to be the right space at the right price. So that's just a total side note. Uh, we've got a fairly modest reselling news update this week. We will discuss at some length um, amazon.com uh, for those of you who are live if you make it to that point i'd like to have kind of an open discussion especially if you are a seller on amazon if you're catching the replay or are listening to the podcast feel free to comment or email me your thoughts on amazon at galaxycds at gmail.com and then in the second part of the show we will have a what sold recap that uh, spoiler alert is full of books but with that news updates. Let's jump into the news. So this first story uh, actually isn't on the news anywhere. I've not been able to find any kind of public reference to this, but the reselling site Heroin, which is kind of a sister site to Grailed, uh, announced yesterday in an email to sellers that their final day will be December 9th of this year. Uh, Heroin was founded in 2017 by the same company that does Grailed. Grailed is primarily a men's clothing site, and they decided at that point that they wanted to do a dedicated site for women's clothing, and they came up with the idea of heroin. Unfortunately, and I, I guess you could say based on the lack of this being in the news over the 24 hours since this thing broke, they just never really got much traction. They've been around for about four years, and did not apparently do a lot of business. So they have decided to cease operations and kind of merge that 
program into Grail. The email went out, a uh, hat tip to my friend Urbagnik over on Instagram who posted a copy of the email, which essentially says uh, that they had done everything they knew how to do to uh, promote the site and so on. Uh, but 68% of their community was also active on Grailed, so they've made the decision to just move everything over there. It will be available until November 9th. After that, buyers will no longer be able to make purchases, and Heroin will officially close on December 9th. Uh, obviously, they are prepared to offer any assistance necessary for those sellers who want to move over to the other platform. Uh, effective November 9th, according to the email, the iOS app will no longer be available for use. Buyers can no longer make new purchases or send new offers. Sellers can complete any open sales and message buyers directly on the heroin.com website. December 9th, heroin will officially close down and the iOS app and heroin website will no longer be available. So you've got essentially a month and a little bit of change to decide what you want to do. If you are a seller over there, uh, this is, I, you hate to see a company uh, fold up operations. This is one I talk about list perfectly. Um, shameless plug affiliate link in the description down below. But they had just recently added heroin to the list of sites that you were able to cross post to from their site. So this is kind of unfortunate. But there you go. Uh, probably in the long term makes good sense for them if they can find a way to transition all of those shoppers over to Grailed. Uh, Grailed seemed like it had a lot more traction. So that's that. Moving on, um, the, what is it? The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. So this is an arm of the wonderful U.S. federal government. They are beginning to scrutinize big tech firms who have gotten into payment processing. So they are an outfit that primarily regulates regulates consumer finance, so banks and credit unions and that sort of thing. But as these tech companies, Amazon, eBay, and so on, have begun to do payment processing on their own, Mercari would probably be another one, um, The this bureau has decided that they need to take a little closer look at these folks and what it is they're doing. This article on e-commerce bites says, what are online payment services up to? Not just PayPal and Square, but offerings from the likes of Amazon, Google, and Facebook. Um, they're under scrutiny. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau has issued a series of orders to collect information on the business practices of large technology companies operating payments systems in the United States, the agency said in a press release last week. The information will help the CFPB better understand how these firms use personal payments data and manage data access to users so the Bureau can ensure adequate consumer protection. It sent these initial orders to PayPal, who I would have thought would have already fallen under this, but Amazon, Square, Google, Facebook, and Apple, and said it would also be studying the payment practice systems of Chinese tech giants, including Alipay and WeChat Pay. Consumers expect certain assurances when dealing with companies that move their money. The agency said they expect to be protected from fraud and payments made in error for their data and privacy to be protected and not shared without their consent to have responsive customer service and to be treated equally under relevant law. There's a link in the article to the full example order, a PDF of that, and you can read more information also on the same website. So 
These big tech companies are coming under a little bit of scrutiny from the federal government. It sounds like a lot of the focus of this is going to be how responsive they are in a customer service perspective. So if you have a payment issue or a charge to dispute, are they responding as quickly as they should? That seems, at least from this article, to be the focus of that. Uh, But it's one more piece of regulation. So moving on now to Etsy. Uh, Etsy has made another change. They continue to make improvements to their site. They will now allow sellers to add a description to images that's not available to the normal shopper. This is known as alt text. If you do any kind of website programming, you're probably already familiar with that. Uh, But it provides information about a graphic to blind and low vision shoppers who use what are known as screen readers. While alt text can help with search engine optimization, Etsy has advised sellers not to keyword stuff the field. Quote, make sure it's something that would make sense to a blind or low vision person who's hearing it read aloud, it recommended. And they added two examples of alt text sellers could use for the listing of a chair as an example. Uh, The first as a do and the second as a do not. For example, they say you want to strive for this. Elegant wooden chair with tall back upholstered in a white and teal fishbone pattern. Legs taper at the base. Armrests wing out to the sides. They describe that as a good alt text description versus this, which they say is a bad one. Mid-century modern chair MCM 1950, 1960, 1970. Danish, Swedish design, modern design. (laughs) Uh, Mid-century design Hans Wegner Fritz Henningsen. Borg Mogensen, yeah, none of that would make any sense if, like, what just happened <laughs> when I read it. Uh, that is a, that's word salad. It doesn't mean anything. So for this to really be useful for someone, it needs to kind of follow the same thing that a lot of these sites talk about in your actual product description. Obviously, you want to get as many keywords in as possible so to optimize for SEO, but you also want it to read in a way that a shopper would be able to make sense of it and in a way that a shopper might actually search for those terms. So if you're going to avail yourself of this new alt text program over on Etsy, uh, just make sure you do it right. They say it will be limited to 250 characters and keep it short but impactful. There are full instructions in the shop manager or on the Etsy announcement board links in the article. Etsy continues to struggle a little bit with their recently announced star seller program. Uh, There appears to be a problem with their mobile app. Uh, A display issue with the Etsy mobile app may be costing sellers exposure on the site. An e-commerce bytes reader described a problem affecting certain versions of the Etsy mobile app that inadvertently pushes satisfied buyers to leave four-star ratings instead of five stars. So essentially what's happening is... Quote, there is a known long-term fault with the mobile app that prevents buyers on some devices from seeing all five stars. So when they go to rate the seller, only four stars appear on the rating screen. The app only displays four stars, so most buyers on some devices will see that as a four-star option. Etsy's never fixed the app, and now it's causing issues, of course, with the star seller program and penalizing sellers whose buyers most likely would have left five stars had they actually been shown the option. Again, this seems like a really, really basic programming thing that they should be able to fix that should have been fixed 
a long time ago because you've your rating is everything, your feedback score or whatever, whatever the, uh, site you're on. So to have a an app out there that is inadvertently not showing enough stars for people to actually select is just kind of a bad design. It doesn't really make any sense. So have you experienced this? If you are a seller on Etsy or a buyer on Etsy, have you ever noticed on the app that you can only leave a four star review? I don't know if you, if you're able to like scroll over, if it just doesn't fit on the screen or if it's just legitimately not there at all. Uh, If you're an Etsy user, let us know in the comments down below eBay has updated their shipping carrier peak season rate and surcharge. They posted this originally, oh gosh, late September or very early October. Um, And at that time, FedEx had not announced any holiday charges, upcharges, surcharges, and so on. They have now done so. So effective from November 1st through January 16th of 2022, there will be no peak surcharge for shipments. Uh, for FedEx Ground. FedEx Ground Economy will have a peak surcharge, however, of $1.50, and Express Per Package will have a peak surcharge of $1.63. USPS, as we've talked about, has already implemented their plan, and if you use eBay label printing, UPS will actually not have any peak surcharges. One thing to be aware of, with FedEx, um, they are also announcing, and this went into effect back on October 4th, so some of you may have already been hit by that, uh, an additional peak season fee will be added to the standard rate FedEx assesses on the following surcharges. An additional handling will increase by $5.95 per package. Oversized package will increase by $30 per package, which is a huge jump. And what they call a ground unauthorized shipment will increase by $350 per package. So I have no idea what that is, but I don't want to ship that way. (laughs) Uh, I see from time to time sellers in various places complaining about they ship something with FedEx and then later on they receive a bill for significantly more than what was estimated at the time. And I can only assume that what has happened in those cases is that the package was mismeasured or misweighed and fell into a category like this where it actually ended up being oversized and FedEx tacked on this surcharge. So the moral of the story is if you're going to ship with FedEx, make very, very sure that you are accurately putting in the size and weight so that you pay the right amount up front because you don't want to get hit with this, what potentially could be a significant overcharge for an oversized package that in many cases, may totally eliminate your profit margin on that item. So uh, you should always do that anyway so that you're paying the right amount, but especially with FedEx, it appears to be super important. Amazon last week held their Amazon Accelerate. I believe it was a two-day online kind of webinar for Amazon sellers. And one of the things that they announced is Uh, local selling on Amazon. So much like Mercari recently added local selling, Amazon has done the same. They say, quote, with Amazon local selling, sellers can quickly and easily expand their multi-channel offerings by listing products in Amazon store and offering them to local customers in designated areas for in-store pickup on the same day that they place an order. 
Amazon explained that when making an order, customers can select in-store pickup and receive a notification when it is ready that day, or they can choose fast local delivery by the seller. Amazon sellers can offer in-store pickup for products and services right now in specific zip codes. Customers can buy products from sellers for same-day pickup at the seller's local store or choose fast local delivery, and sellers can now apply to participate in local selling as the program expands throughout this year and during 2022. A store pickup tab for buy online pickup in store will be available on the Amazon item detail page. Buyers can then see where and when they can pick up their item. And again, local delivery will also be an option. Pat Bigatel, Amazon's director of local selling, which probably is a new position, uh, said during a presentation at Amazon Accelerate that the feature is an extension of not a replacement for national shipping. It says you can't limit a product to local only. So if you're going to make a product available on Amazon, you have to offer the standard national shipping, but you can, in addition, now add a local pickup or delivery option as well. But you can't do that exclusively. So if you are an Amazon uh, FBM seller, uh, let me know if that is something that you would use or not. Uh, as I've talked about numerous times here, I'm not currently selling on Amazon, so it doesn't mean much to me, but that's, I don't know if that'll be a big deal for Amazon shoppers or not. I think most Amazon shoppers, and we're going to kind of get into that here in a minute, expect items to be delivered to them either through traditional means or by Amazon themselves. I don't know that a lot of them want to go actually to the store, or in many cases, this is going to be to somebody's house, which makes it even more uncomfortable uh, to pick something up. Continuing on with Amazon, they also released uh, their annual small business empowerment report. This article is on Forbes, and they talk about one of the things Amazon does apparently is from one year to the next, they change kind of the criteria and how they measure these various stats. So a lot of times the year-to-year comparisons don't necessarily line up, but they did talk about how many small business sellers that they have and what kind of business they're doing. Um, One of the big changes that they made was previously Amazon considered people who were selling self-published content through their Kindle program as small business sellers. They have now removed those folks from that statistic So the 2021 report, which was just released, has narrowed the focus to uh, traditional Amazon.com sellers of items, and they claim there are nearly 2 million of them. Uh, The definition of a small business, according to Gartner, is a business with less than $1 billion in annual revenues and up to 999 employees. So me down here in my basement, (laughs) Uh, would absolutely qualify. Uh, As they say, there are nearly 2 million small business sellers selling on Amazon's marketplaces around the world. Of this, more than 500,000 of them are based here in the United States. In 2020, Amazon added 200,000 new sellers from around the world, a 45% increase from the prior year. So if you thought competition on Amazon was growing significantly, you would be correct. That is a big jump in sellers from year to year. Uh, For the period from September 2020 to August 2021, Amazon sellers on the platform 
averaged $200,000 in sales up from $175,000 the year prior. So Amazon sellers, by and large, are doing really well. The number of huge sellers on Amazon has also grown. The number of U.S. sellers who passed $1 million in sales grew by nearly 15%. And the number of U.S. sellers that surpassed $10 million in sales increased nearly 40% over the same period last year. So big jump for the big sellers. The rich get richer, as they say. Uh, Amazon said that half of American third-party sellers take advantage of FBA. So there are about 250,000 of you here in the U.S. that are using fulfillment by Amazon. Now, uh, that is a, a component of the Amazon program that has come under a bit of fire for a variety of reasons. This article points out that Amazon has aggressively grown the capacity of FBA increasing square footage across its worldwide network of distribution centers by 50% worldwide. And it's supposedly also hired 450,000 new employees to expand that capacity. Amazon, for their part, says that on average, shipping with FBA is 30% lower in cost compared with other shipping carriers. And while this article points out it is inarguable that 30% lower costs on fulfillment is a great deal and one that will attract many small businesses to the program, the problem can be that access to that fulfillment service can be abruptly paused or throttled. And they point out a couple of instances of that in 2020. Amazon deprioritized the fulfillment of non-essential items during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic, meaning that many sellers could not actually sell their inventory. So you would send it in FBA and it was essentially in jail. It couldn't You couldn't ship it. So that's problematic. Um, This writer wrote in 2021 how they had also throttled the storage capacity for many sellers. They changed the parameters for inventory storage limits and how much stuff sellers could send in. So people were out buying stuff based on the old metrics of how much stuff they could ship into Amazon And Amazon changed, despite adding all that additional square footage, they essentially cut back the amount of items, the amount of SKUs that an individual seller could send in. So let me know, again, if you're an Amazon FBA seller, did you get caught up in any of that where you kind of cut off from uh, sending things in? They also talked about a little bit about the Amazon marketing programs. 300,000 sellers, they say, are using Amazon Stores, which is essentially a homepage that can be set up by brands to showcase their specific products, tell their brand story, and highlight deals. And half a million sellers, they say, are using Amazon brand analytics to glean market and product insights. So there's a lot of tools, obviously, on Amazon that you can take advantage of. One of the ones that they did not discuss in their report was what the usage rate was for Amazon advertising. Um, Advertising is a significant and growing profit center for Amazon and for eBay and a lot of the other sites. And it is actually the third largest advertising platform after Google and Facebook. And they don't talk about how many users were taking advantage of the Amazon marketing tools and how much money was being spent there. So Again, if you are an Amazon seller, do you do advertising? Do you do whatever the Amazon equivalent of promoted listings is over there? Um, Again, I don't sell there, so I can't really comment on it. But uh, Amazon seemed reticent to share that data. Last 
piece, and this is one that if you are here in the live, uh, feel free to chime in on this, but there is a really good article over on Fast Company on how Amazon has changed shopping forever and a discussion about what they think is coming next. Uh, They say from two-day shipping to checkout free stores, Amazon keeps resetting customer expectations and changing the game for all retail. Uh, The article says Amazon is not really a retailer, which is true. It's a technology company with a relentless dissatisfaction with the status quo. That is what has enabled them to get where they are today, says Natalie Berg, founder of the NBK Retail Consultancy and the co-author of a book, Amazon, How the World's Most Relentless Retailer Will Continue to Revolutionize Commerce. Uh, They did a quick interview with her. One of the questions was, what are the most significant ways that Amazon has rewired consumer behavior since its launch 27 years ago? She says, quote, if you think back to online shopping in the early 2000s, it was a pretty laborious process. We tend to forget this because today it's effortless. We have Amazon to thank for that. It pioneered personalized recommendations, user-generated ratings, and reviews, which seem so commonplace now. Same with one-click checkout, and we expect delivery to be fast, reliable, and free, though they point out there is an environmental cost to all those cardboard boxes turning up. This is one of the big areas, and we've talked about on this channel previously, that Amazon has had a huge impact, particularly for online retail. The expectation of super fast and free delivery There's no such thing, obviously, and we all know it as free delivery. Someone is paying to get an item shipped from point A to point B, whether it's you or, as is the case, whether you advertise free shipping or not, the customer. That is essentially, for for my case, when I've offered free shipping, I've tried to build it into the price. That has become harder and harder to do as the price increases become more significant and more frequent. So I've gone to a customer-paid shipping model despite... Amazon, the 800-pound gorilla in the room, continuing to offer free shipping, especially with Amazon Prime, which is another thing that you have seen kind of trickle down into other retailers. Walmart now has a, a similar program. I can't think off the top of my head what it's called, where you can pay an annual subscription and have access to free same or next day delivery. So the impact of Amazon is not just on online retailers, but it's been on everywhere. The other aspect of that has been the returns process. Now, this is, there was a a post on Instagram a couple of days ago where someone was talking about all of the Amazon returns, and they had a picture of an entire room full of Amazon returns that had come back. Amazon is not totally responsible for that. I spent, as I've talked about numerous times, 30 years in the retail environment, and as retailers cut back, on the number of employees in their stores. One of the ways that they tried to talk about customer service was offering these just ludicrous return policies. You could essentially return anything at any time for any reason, really no questions asked, and get your money back, sometimes even without a receipt. So retailers brought a lot of that onto themselves. Amazon, of course, has taken it to the next step. It's it's very difficult obviously, to police returns online. A customer can select any reason from a whole host of them, and they are smart enough to understand that didn't like, don't, doesn't fit, whatever is not necessarily 
the way to get a free return. So they blame it on the seller. Item not as described, item not as listed, item defective, whatever the case may be, to get a free return when actually it's the customer's fault. And that is, it's unfortunately a cost of doing business for us as sellers. But if you're an Amazon seller, the the individual who posted that on Instagram said his return rate, or her, I'm not sure, was double on Amazon what it was on eBay. So it's a significant cost of doing business. And it is the result of both traditional retail and to some extent, Amazon. The article points out that uh, Amazon has led the race to the bottom on delivery expectations. One of the things that Prime did was to remove the need to consolidate orders. You could just choose that random thing that you needed straight away and it would turn up the next day and you'd feel no guilt about it. That's starting to shift. There's an opportunity now to retrain customers to expect slower delivery. And we've noticed if you've bought anything on Amazon, if you've made multiple purchases, especially if they're coming from different places within Amazon, you have the option. And sometimes they even incentivize that with a digital credit towards something in their Amazon video store or whatnot uh, to have everything show up on a particular day all in one box and it still be free. So Amazon is making the effort in this case to lower the expectation. And I think part of that, again, is a play potentially for, in particular, the millennials and the Gen Zs who are very environmentally conscious and don't necessarily like the idea of 10 boxes over 10 days when they can get one box on one day and do do without all of the waste and the other environmental impacts. Uh, Amazon is also, of course, looking to change physical retail. Um, they purchased was it Whole Foods, and they've kind of made some changes within that organization. They're also opening their own pop-up stores. Uh, checkout is one of the big areas where they are experimenting. Amazon sees it as a problem that they can solve to differentiate themselves from the competition and then, of course, sell and license their technology to other retailers, there's a, a section in the book that talks about J is for just walk out, which is the checkout free option that Walmart offers where you just load up your bag or your cart and you walk out the door and Amazon somehow through RFID or whatever technology it is they're using knows what you've got in your cart and charges you for it appropriately. So that's really interesting. Uh, Amazon, of course, They've essentially embedded themselves in a lot of people's lives through things like Alexa, which can funnel purchases directly to Amazon's platform. You don't need to go to the store or to a screen to go shopping because you be, can be in your kitchen and just ask Alexa to add things to your list. In the future, consumers will be able to completely opt out of the transaction. We'll never have to think about buying bleach and toilet paper and toothpaste, all the non-emotive boring things that we all need, but don't really want to think about. The interviewer says, that seems a little creepy. And the, <laughs> uh, the person who was being interviewed says, I agree, but uh, getting in a stranger's car was creepy 10 years ago, and now it's just normal. Talking, of course, about Uber and Lyft. So the marketplace has definitely changed in those areas. Amazon has been a huge impact, obviously, on shopping and on shoppers' behaviors and expectations. They are also the one who probably has the best chance to start to rein some of that in. As we talked about a moment ago, they're already kind of doing that in terms of delivery expectations. 
We can only hope that they will begin to do that with customer returns as well. My personal experience, I've talked about this a couple of times on this show. I've had items that I didn't need or didn't work for me for whatever reason that I bought from Amazon. And when I requested a return, they gave me a refund and essentially told me I could keep the item. So they seem to still kind of be going the other way on that rather than reining it in. So before we jump into the what sold segment, let's get over here into uh, the chat. If you're here on YouTube live, Betsy uh, Migalore says, hi, hello, Beetle Al. Good morning, Rebel Junk. Aaron, thank you for stopping by. I know you've got a show starting, I think, at 11. So be sure to check that out. Uh, She says, do you think the name of the site Heroin had something to do with their demise? I get what they were going for with the name, but it can also have a negative connotation. Yeah, I think it probably did. I think it was a good idea. And I mean, obviously the spellings are different, but the pronunciation is the same. So from a marketing standpoint, it was probably a little awkward for them. And I think probably between all the other sites that are available, some of these smaller niche sites are just not well positioned. And this was one you already had a, a brother organization, if you will, in Grailed. You've got Poshmark and Depop, and there's just so many options now that there may be a bit of a retrenching, if you will, of online reselling platforms. I don't know that they can all continue to exist. This may be just the first domino to fall. Randy Martin uh, says, hi, doing my morning packing. I got mine out of the way early this morning. It was actually a really good night overnight. I had some, some pretty nice orders. Flipping sports guy, hey all. Uh, Thanks for stopping by. My reseller treasure, thank you for coming by. Francisco, my friend from California, thank you so much for coming out. Uh, Better health blessings late again. Hey, that's okay. (laughs) Uh, Better late than never. I was almost late today too because I went to the post office to drop off shipments before I came over here to do this. And uh, she was nowhere to be found. The lobby was open, but I waited like 10 minutes for her to come out. So that was... I was cut it a little bit close. All that being said, it is time. For some what sold action. As I said, kind of at the outset, um, if you're a book lover, this one's for you. If you're not so much into the books, this one might not. <laughs> Uh, be quite so fun for you. So let's just jump in. It was actually a pretty good week over on Mercari, which was surprising because it has been very, very slow over there this month. But for the last week, it's been good. This first sale, uh, Crescent Books, they did a series of books back in the, I want to say it was the early 1970s called The Color Treasury of, and there were, I don't know, 13 or 14 books in this series. I picked these up as part of my free haul from a couple of weekends ago. So my cost of goods sold on these is zero. Individually, they're not worth a whole bunch. Most of them were listed here and there for $4 free shipping, which is essentially even free. Cost of goods sold is not worth doing. So I lotted the four of these together. I had them listed for $25 over on Mercari. I got an offer of $20 with free shipping and sent these out. So again, cost of goods sold is nothing. Shipping on these, I think it was a, a three pound package when it was all said and done. So it was about four, four forty five, I think, for shipping. So that turned into essentially a twelve or thirteen dollar 
profit from some books that individually were not going to make any money. So I've talked about that previously. One of the things that I do with what you might consider to be duds is before I donate them or just discard them, I see if I can build like this a lot of books that I can recoup enough savings in the shipping to make them profitable. This was a case where I was, in fact, able to do that. This next item, uh, as I talked about at the outset, I am a big seller of Bibles and religious books. This is a Holy Bible Reference Edition. King James Version from 1972 was published by the Nelson Public um, Publishing. Genuine leather in white. White Bibles tend to do pretty well. This was their part number 685. I picked this up at a local kind of charity bookstore where I made a donation. Um, I gave her about 300 books that I just could not use. And I bought um, about 10 Bibles from her for a dollar a piece. This is one of those. So this also sold on Mercari. One dollar cost a good sold. Sold for $21 with free shipping. This was under a pound. So $3.19 media mail. This ended up being a fairly reasonable little sale. This was a cool set of books I picked up at an estate sale. I did a bulk buy and I own these for probably 75 cents a piece. So maybe two and a quarter in this trilogy of books. Kristen Labrinstatter trilogy by Sigrid Unstedt from 1946. These were cloth bound hardcovers from um, Knopf Publishing. Not a huge sale, $24 free shipping. And again, over on Mercari, like I said, big couple of days here on Mercari. Really interesting set. These were in, uh, I believe, German, so not even English language books. So $2.20 odd cents into $24 free shipping. This was part of the free haul. So again, cost of goods sold zero. The Paul Simon Complete Volumes 1 and 2 Piano, Vocal, and Guitar Songbook Box Set. That's a mouthful. This is from 1990. These were kind of trade paperbacks in a slipcase, so kind of a box that would hold them. There were lots of these out, Volume 1 or Volume 2 individually. There were very, very few sets that included both of these, and this was the only one at the time I listed it that had both books and the slipcase. So I had this listed at $29.99 or best offer plus shipping. Over on eBay, I received, uh, actually I sent out an offer for 15% off on this. Sold it for $25.49 plus shipping on a cost of goods sold of zero. Hey, what do you know? Another religious book. (laughs) Uh, From 1957, The Daily Missile of the Mystical Body from the Mary Knoll Fathers. If you find any of these daily missiles, uh, they're definitely worth looking up. They generally can bring pretty decent money, particularly the older ones, the 19 say mid 60s and older this one from 1957 also sold on a uh, best offer that I sent out I had it listed I think for 34.99 plus shipping and sold for 29.74 plus shipping this was part again of the free haul from a couple of weeks ago so cost of goods sold nothing this was a very interesting book um I bought this at an estate sale I think I paid about $2 for this one from 1947, the essays of Michelle de Montaigne. These essays 
were hand-selected by the artist Salvador Dali, who then illustrated this particular volume. So really interesting book. Uh, I don't know who the author is, but obviously everybody knows who Salvador Dali is and pretty much anything that he had anything to do with can be a good seller. This sold uh, on a best offer. Again, I own it for a couple of bucks. I had it listed for $39.99 or best offer plus shipping, and it sold for $35 plus shipping. Not Again, it's not a, a week of really huge sales, a lot of sub $50 stuff, but when your cost of goods sold is nothing, uh, that profit tends to add up pretty quickly. Here's another one I bought at a big lot some time back. I had talked about some of these previously. Um, I purchased a big lot of kind of young adult mysteries from the 1950s and 60s. This was part of the Ken Holt Mystery Story series. This was number 15, The Mystery of Gallows Cliff by Bruce Campbell. This is a Grosset and Dunlap, a publisher that I talk about pretty much every week here. Again, I owned it for 75 cents. This sold on a best offer. It was listed for $39.99. Somebody made me an offer of $35 with free shipping, and I was all about that. This was another cool book. This was also part of the free lot from a couple of weekends ago. Famous New Orleans Drinks and How to Mix Them from 1960. This was the 13th printing of this book. The original was from the 1930s sometime. There was only one other one that was from this same kind of era with this cover. This book is still in publication. There were about a dozen of the current ones listed going up to about $20. But for the older version of this, there was only one other one listed. And I think the guy was asking like three or $400, just an outrageous price. I looked up on Terapeak. The only one that had sold recently went for $30 plus shipping. So I listed mine at, I think, $44.99 plus shipping or best offer. And I got an offer for $38.24. I think it was 15% off plus the shipping. And I sent this thing out. So again, a fairly nice sale, $41 and some change gross on a cost of goods sold of nothing. A real interesting book. Again, it's one of those I don't know how likely you are to stumble on. uh, But if you find one of the older ones, regardless of whether it's a first printing or like the case of this one, a 13th printing, it had some pretty good value. This, I believe, is your flip of the week. Let's throw that graphic up there if you're watching on YouTube. (laughs) Um, The Ingenious Mechanisms for Designers and Inventors, Volumes 1 through 3 from the Industrial Press. This was a hard course, uh, hardcover set of books Two of them were from the same year and publication run. The other one was a a later printing. So I think they were, one of them or two were from 1952. The other was from 1954. But essentially it was a complete set. They all had the same cover on them. So I was able to lot them together. Uh, These are another set of books that I picked up at an estate sale that I paid about a dollar a piece for. So I have $3 in this set of books from the 1950s and they sold again on Mercari for $50 with free shipping. This one, these were pretty stout books. This one cost, I think, $8 to ship even media mail. So it still ended up being a $34, $35 profit when all was said and done. Uh, $50 free shipping for a set of books, The Ingenious Mechanisms for Designers and Inventors. Old 
textbooks and engineering books tend to do pretty well. There are engineers and collectors who like that sort of stuff. So don't hesitate to grab those. If you find them, if you're out at the various sales, uh, they can bring pretty decent money. So with that, I think that's about going to wrap it up for today. I don't see any new comments over in the comments. So for all of you who joined me live this morning, thank you so much for stopping by, spending a little bit of your time here at the channel. If you're catching the replay later, please feel free to comment on anything that you saw here that you found interesting. And let's do this also. If you happen to be watching over on YouTube and you found this content enjoyable, interesting, or fun, something like that, (laughs) do me a favor and whack that thumbs up button. If you are not a subscriber to the channel or the podcast, please consider doing that as well. If you are a listener to the podcast, there should be a link. If you'd like to leave me a voice message in response to anything that you saw here today, please do that, and I might play it in a future episode. With that, we're going to close it. Um, Despite my best efforts, I've listed almost 100 items already this week, and it's only Wednesday morning. Uh, I still have thousands of books that I need to get listed uh, or moved into an abandoned church. (laughs) So with that, we're going to close it for today. It's time to sell. Thanks, guys. You have been listening to the Galaxy CDs Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will catch you again next time.